Welcome to Funny Books with Aaron and Polly, Episode 9. I'm Aaron. And I'm Polly. Last week, we couldn't come up with anything for our magical 8th episode. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. And it occurred to me last night, we could have called it The Ocho. Oh, The Ocho. The Ocho. Well, now we're into Nueve. The Nueve. <laughs> I, you know, I think we, like like Blue Beetle, we need to do a whole episode in Spanish. That's not a bad idea. I think we should do it. Now, you know, I, I can go with my the one phrase that I know in Spanish. Hola. <laughs> no, it's donde está el cyber cafe. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I, I was in uh, Puerto Vallarta several years ago on vacation, and I had to check in with work. Um, they had asked me, okay, on Wednesday, you got to check in because we need to know what, you know, one or, one of three things. I'm like, okay. So I had practiced this phrase while I was, you know, out there in Puerto Vallarta. And I go up to this guy, you know, there at the resort. And I was, donde esta el cyber cafe? And he says, oh, you're looking for the cyber cafe. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Uh, did he do it in the Fargo accent like that? <laughs> he really eh? did. He really looking did. for the cyber cafe, eh? Oh, oh yeah, you betcha. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right over here is the cyber cafe, or, you know. So, yeah, that, I, I, literally, that was that was the experience. <laughs> like, well, <laughs> screw. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it has been a busy week for us, an expensive week. Sure. Um, but you know, I'll I'll start with what I got in the mail yesterday. Did 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 you get a, a citation? Besides that, oh, okay. in addition to the citation, I got a pleasant piece of mail. Oh, what kind of mail did you get? I got The Flash, the complete series on DVD. Oh, you dog. Yeah, it's nothing new, of course. It's been out for a couple of years. Yeah. But um, they had a good deal on it. I think it was $14 for the entire series. And I loved this series. Yeah, that was um, a good series from back in, was it the late 80s, early 90s? It, it was, it, according to the back of the box, it was 1990 and 1991. Okay. Uh, and for those listening, if you've never seen it, it's... The Flash, obviously. Um, it was right after Batman was such a big hit. Right. Uh, in fact, Danny Elfman, I think, did the main theme for the show. I love Danny Elfman. Yeah. And, you know, it was very much done in that Batman style a little bit. You know, the costume was very similar to Batman's costume with the muscles built into the... Um, what what the hell were those costumes made out of? Rubber, I think. Rubber, yeah. yeah. I think they were rubber. And it starred John Wesley Shipp, who was uh, Dawson's dad on Dawson's Creek. <laughs> I don't now, know what he's doing now. Was he Barry Allen in that show, or was he Wally West? He was Barry Allen. Barry Allen. Okay. Yep. Um, and Amanda Pays was Tina McGee. I don't know if that's related to the uh, comic at all. I don't remember a Tina in the comic. I, I don't either. I don't uh, either. But, I mean, the show was great. It had the trickster. It had Captain Cold. I remember, the trickster was the big one. I remember always really enjoying that show, and I just really hated that uh, that it was canceled. So, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to jump out there and see if I can pick up that same set you got, because uh, I've always wanted it on my shelf. I, I really, really like that show. And, you know, uh, Sci-Fi ran it for a little while, but I haven't seen it on TV in a long, long time. Yeah, I mean, other than Smallville, I can't think of a... I mean, obviously, it didn't last very long, but I can't think of many TV shows outside of Superman-based TV shows that were live action. Well, there was uh, you know, uh, Birds the of 90s. Prey. Yeah, 
we don't count that one though. I do. I liked that one. You like? I only saw. I've only ever seen the first episode of Birds of Prey. Well, what I liked about it is that it was kind of playing a a long story arc, of course, that never got resolved because it got you know canceled before <laughs> it was able to finish up. But I I liked it. I liked that it you know it told a backstory about Batman, but didn't have Batman in the show. Mm-hmm. I was I thought it was a nice show. Now there were some limitations, and you know I think some of those limitations were that you had some of the Smallville talent working on it, if you know what I mean. <laughs> but I did. I like the show. I like the actresses, and, 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 I, and I like the stories. Yeah. You know, I actually, Smallville has gotten better. Because I, you know, I saw the first season. I'm like, ah, you know, it's not so bad. And then I started watching the second season. And I was like, oh, it is bad. So <laughs> I kind of dropped it. And then I picked it up again this season, the eighth season. Or this, you know, this past season that just came out on DVD this week. Right. Um, and I, I saw every episode of the season. It's the one that had Doomsday in it. And, you know, it was pretty decent. Other than the fact that, you know, I'm going to put spoilers on in case you only catch Smallville in DVDs. Um, they killed Jimmy Olsen in the season finale. And, but they, like, rewrote it in such a way that it wasn't the real Jimmy Olsen. It uh. was Jimmy Olsen's older brother who went by the same name. Um, you know, that happens in my family as well. <laughs> yeah, when you die, there's another Aaron head to take your place. <laughs> Just waiting in the wings. <laughs> yeah, your canoon. Now, now did, I, I saw an ad for this coming season, mm-hmm. and, you know, it had the, the Superman shield, and then across it it said, he is risen. Did Does Clark die at the end of last season? He does not. Um, but I think what they're referring to is that this season he actually does have – a Superman costume. Oh, um, okay. He, you know, it's all black with the Superman symbol, I guess, like either a dark blue or something. Right. Um, and it's more of a trench coat type Superman. Gotcha. But he has a costume in it. Would that be in a, has he been flying? Because I know for the longest time they were saying that he would not fly in the show. No, he still super jumps, but it's super jumping in the way that looks like flying. Uh-huh. So but, maybe you know, they, he is risen as actual, maybe a reference to actual flying then? It's possible. It's possible. I mean, it's it, it's it's taking a long damn time to get where they want to go, and they're talking about another season after the one coming up, which will be the ninth. Seriously, and ten seasons is a long ass time to for Clark Kent to not be Superman, considering you know. Well, and I can understand. I mean, powers. I think a, a good cap off to the show. I know when I first started watching, and bear in mind, I, I think I stopped watching in the second season. Yeah. Um. I, I could see winding up the show with, okay, you know, he's, you know, finished his high school, he's finished his college, and now he's ready to go off and be the Superman. And that would be where you'd end the show. But, you know, wow, it's a whole long time to get there. <laughs> yeah, and now it's primarily based out of Metropolis. Right. Um, you know, they still call it Smallville, but it's based out of Metropolis. And, uh, you know, I mean, it, it's it's gotten better. Um, you know, it's... Uh, I, I like where they're going with it. I just wish it wasn't taking so long. You know, the seasons are about 20 to 22 episodes. Uh, you know, I think the writer strike season was a little shorter. Yeah. Um, but it feels like out of those 22 episodes, there may be five essential episodes and the rest feel like filler. And that was always my complaint about the show was that, you know, the, the first episode of the season would be important. The last one, maybe two episodes of the season would be important. And then, you know, there might be the interspersing of another one or two episodes that, you know, were episodes of consequence. And the rest yeah. of it was just freak of the week kinds of stuff. Which is essentially what it still is. Yeah. 
Which is one thing, you know, and and they have yet to have an episode as good as the trickster two-parter from The Flash with right. Mark Hamill as the trickster. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I like, you know, I, the, I think the one thing I like so much about The Flash that I don't like about Smallville is that it really embraced the comicness. You had costumes, you had all that, you know, and when you don't embrace that a little bit, I think you end up falling on the silly side, like Heroes. It's a comic book show without the costumes, but it's like it wants to make itself as comic book as it could possibly be without going full full, full comic book. Um, you never go full comic book, Aaron. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, and I think it just ends up being silly. Yeah. And, I, you know, that's why I stopped watching Heroes. But, you know, the, the more costumes and some of that crazy crap shows up in Smallville, the more interested I am in it. Yeah. I find, you know, when you have Green Arrow in a Green Arrow costume, I'll watch the show. Yeah. You know, uh, but I, th- I think that may hurt some of these other superhero type shows. Yeah. Because I just have no interest in heroes right now. Well, you know, I, the, the episodes of Smallville that I've watched when I stopped watching just regularly were like, you know, the big episodes that they would promote, like the, I think it was Red Kryptonite, uh, Clark, you know, Flies. Um, attacks Lex Luthor's plane, rips open the door, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that was a, the, the, the special effects and the stories in those episodes are really good. And then you go, okay, well I'll watch another, you know, the next week's episode and it's right back to just the regular old stuff that I couldn't stand. Yeah. And you that's know? how it was for the longest time. You know, it was, I would watch the season premiere and the season finale yeah. cause those were like the yeah. important episodes and yeah. I feel like I didn't miss anything Well, because, and there's, and there's only oh, so much of watching Chloe that will keep you coming back. <laughs> See, well, they have Lois now, and I like Lois better than I like Chloe. Okay, whatever. Whatever. <laughs> well, uh, Friday was my birthday. You know, I I did not know that until I saw it on your Twitter saying, oh, my birthday's over. Screw you, Paul. <laughs> you know, Screw you, Paul, for not wishing me a happy birthday. Yeah, and what's up with that? You know, I'm I'm a I'm an MFer, I guess. I, I honestly didn't know. Well, I mean, how can you how can you not know when you go to the stores and you see all the Aaron Miss displays, and you know people are exchanging Aaron Miss cards and you know gathering around the Aaron Miss trees? I don't understand it, Paul. I mean, you just must have deliberately decided not to notice. I'm a bit of a bah humbug about Aaron Miss. <laughs> a little bit. A little well, bit. It's it's only three months before Paul Miss. Yeah. And you know, it's just. <laughs> you know, I got to start saving up the funds to buy myself gifts. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, but did you get anything good? I did, actually. Um, I, among other things, I uh, the wife got me the uh, Star Trek Klingon D7 Battlecruiser Christmas ornament. Wow. You know, I collect those, and they're all on my Christmas tree, because really nothing says Christmas like a Klingon Battlecruiser. I agree. And uh, I got the Season 4.0 uh, Battlestar Galactica. Ah, very nice. And you know, I've I've had I've been watching uh, season three and I've been afraid to finish up because I didn't have four yet. So she got me that. Got me well, wasn't there a three point five, or was it just three point oh? No, and that four that was writer strike year, so they just got ah, three point Gotcha. So anyway, yeah, I got a couple of things. You know, I Jack Kirby and I share a date of birth, and ah. uh, you can uh, draw from that whatever distinction you'd like, but. Uh, it was, a, it was a pretty good day yesterday. We went to go see a very non-geek movie, or a very non-genre you know, genre movie. We went to go see uh, Julie and Julia, 
which is the movie uh-huh. about the woman who uh, blogged about her experience of cooking all of Julia Child's recipes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're a food geek, you're going to love this movie because, number one, there's a ton of food in the movie. And you sit there going, God, why didn't we go and have French food for dinner? <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was very entertaining. Uh, I liked it a whole lot. So that was kind of how we spent uh, how we spent my birthday. Now, you know how I spent your birthday? How did you spend my birthday, Paul? I left work early. And I started that, drinking. You know, that is a tradition. Leaving yeah. work early and drinking is an Aaron Miss tradition. So I'm glad that you observed some of the traditions. I did, because <laughs> I went, I drank, and then I went and saw The Final Destination in 3D. Um, is that which, a movie that demanded the third dimensional treatment? Yeah, yeah, let's say yes, because if it wasn't for the 3D <laughs> aspect of that film, it would have been garbage. Yeah. Absolute garbage. I mean, it was... It was basically even more so than the other films, just a stream of vignettes, you know, like, okay, this person died, next scene, this person dies. It, it was just really bad. Yeah. But the 3D was fantastic. Hmm. Or maybe I was just drunk at two in the afternoon. <laughs> um, so after that film, what we did is we went and drank some more to prepare to see Halloween 2. Kind of had a, a horror double feature with a lot of beer in between. And uh, Halloween 2... Um, I'll wait and uh, let folks read the review on the website that I'm going to post up sometime this weekend. But uh, it just long story short, it was pretty awful. Oh, okay. But, <laughs> but yes, tune in for the review. <laughs> Stay tuned to ideologyofmadness.com. Well, also this week, I yes. spent a gazillion dollars in comic books. As did I. As did I. You know, we mentioned on last week's show that there were just a, a, a number of titles coming out this week. And sure enough... Good night in heaven. I spent 40 bucks on a week's worth of comics. And, uh, you know, I, I, I have not yet read a book out of that pool that I thought wasn't worth it. But dang, Ooh, comic really? company. No, no, no. What I'm saying is I, 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 all the books I read were worth it. Ah, I'm okay. not. I I'm still not, disagree, but go ahead. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, everything I read, I liked. But, uh, I mean, I've still got – I still actually have a number of books I haven't read yet. Yeah, I've got a couple on uh, – only, only a few. I uh, – yeah. I really kind of scrambling this morning. Same here. I, I hadn't read a couple of them. Yeah, I, w- I was up awfully early to make sure I had, had read uh, everything we needed to talk about today. But, uh, you know, I, I, it was a good week. I thought there were a lot of quality books out this week. But holy crap, could you all spread that out? When you have a week like last week where mm-hmm. there was really nothing that came out, I really wish they'd they'd figure out a way to spread the love a little more. And I know, yeah. you know, I, I talked to uh, my comic shop retailer when I was picking up my books and, you know, they were groaning about it because they didn't feel like they had enough shelf space to really appropriately display all the books. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they were very conscientious about how they merchandise, um, you know, so that everything's just not all crowded together and you're having to, you know, peel back through a number of things. They like their new releases to be displayed. You know, so that people can see them. And it was a real challenge for them this week with as crowded as the shelves were with variants and brand new titles. Yeah, I mean, there was a ton of crap this week. And, you know, it was kind of sad because we're going to talk about this here in a little bit. There were two Blackest Night books. There were four, four Batman books. Yeah. You know, it's like, it really feels like they should spread it out a little bit. Yeah. Um. Because it's, you know, I can't buy 
four Batman books every week. And maybe I won't be after some of the reviews we talked about later <laughs> on today. <laughs> we call that foreshadowing in the podcast yeah. business. <laughs> well, okay, it's like well, Hamlet. We're like Hamlet. We yeah. are the Hamlet of podcasting. Exactly. You know, there is certainly a Shakespearean motif through all of our podcasting. So, yeah. uh, Screw all the rest of you Shakespeare comedies. <laughs> we are the Shakespeare tragedy. That's right. Our tragic flaw, too much disposable income. And too much <laughs> awesomeness. We have a couple of tragic flaws. Yeah, yeah. So you want to talk about Blackest Night? Yeah, I guess we'll start with uh, Blackest Night. There were, there were two Blackest Night books this week. Yes, there was. There was uh, uh, Green Lantern 45 and then Blackest Night Titans number one. Yeah, um, so I guess, you know, let's go ahead and start with Green Lantern number 45. Okie doke. Not too much to say on this book. Uh, it, you know, it it seems like a Blackest Night title almost didn't... I mean, there were a couple of pages of Blackest Night material. Yeah. But for the most part, it was all, mostly related to some of the ongoing storylines in Green Lantern and Green Lantern Corps, even. Yeah. Because I don't... Was Hal Jordan even in this issue? I don't he think was he was. not. There was no Hal Jordan in this book. He was yeah, talked was... about at length in the book, mm-hmm. but he, he does not appear at all in this one. Which is, you know, it's surprising because I thought that was kind of the at this aspect of it. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I thought what they did in this issue, I, I enjoyed this issue. Yeah, I did too. I, number one, you know, you, you got to give props to Doug Mankey because, again, oh, yeah, another stunningly beautiful book. Sinestro is very often a hit and miss kind of character for me. And, of course, you know, you got Jeff Johns writing this book, so you know it's going to be handled right. And the uh, dialogue between Sinestro and uh, Carol Ferris, or Star Sapphire, is fantastic. And Star Sapphire and Carol Ferris, same person, um, is a character I've always hated. I have absolutely always hated that character. And for the first time I read this, I'm like, huh, there might actually be something there. Well, you know what I think, you know, because it was different than the way she's usually portrayed. Yes. You know, usually she's possessed by the Star Sapphire. She goes after Hal Jordan. You know, he saves her from the Star Sapphire or whatever. Yeah. You know, whereas this time, you know, the Star Sapphires are a little a little differently done. Right. You know, and it's her against Sinestro. And, you know, I, I, I did enjoy it a little more um, than the usual Star Sapphire stuff. Because I usually don't like the Star Sapphires. No, I, it's, in general. exactly. Exactly, and I think it was the different twist on it, you know, that different portrayal that made it so interesting. Plus, you know, I really enjoyed the little bit of Sinestro's background that we got to see. Yes, yes. We we got a little bit more about, you know, what makes Sinestro Sinestro, and that was very interesting. And I'm not going to spoil anything, but I got to say the uh, second to the last page is wonderful. And you're looking looking at at the second to last page. I I just absolutely loved it. Oh, the two-page spread. Yes. Absolutely love that scene. That's my favorite scene of the book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We're not going to ruin it. Yeah, Uh, I don't want to ruin that for anybody, but it is an awfully good scene. Yeah, that is my favorite scene of the book. And uh, you know what's kind of funny is I didn't see it coming, even though it's obvious. Yeah. But I, I I really enjoyed that scene. You know, one thing I'll say about the Blackest Night books... And, you know, I mean, if you're if you're a Green Lantern fan, I can't see a way for you not to be involved in the Blackest Night event, mm-hmm. you know, because 
the Green Lantern Corps and Green Lantern really are flowing in to each other and then into the larger Blackest Night event. And like, for instance, the, the first three pages of this book is really showing a longer reveal on Jon Stewart and, you know, hit the storyline of his that we've talked about in previous shows where, you know, he's still dealing with, you know, some of the events from Cosmic Odyssey and the follow-up to that. And this is weaving in and out of the different titles. And they're only giving you a couple of pages per book on that story. So, you know, I think that if you were – I don't think you could just follow Green Lantern. No. And 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 get anything out of this. And you know, fortunately, I'm following Green Lantern, and I'm following Green Lantern Core. Uh, but I think this would be an awful challenge for you if you weren't biting off on the whole Blackest Night event uh, as a Green Lantern fan. Yeah, I think you need to read Blackest Night, Green Lantern, and Green Lantern Core at minimum Correct. to get what's going on. Yeah. Um, you know, the Titans, Superman, and Batman—they're all great yeah. reads, but they're not uh, essential. But they're not essential. Yeah. Um, so Blackest Night Titans number one. Yes, which I'm going to put on a spoiler warning here because it's not at the end of the issue, but it is an important aspect of the issue. Um, I think this was the first reveal of the White Lanterns. Oh, really? Yes. Did I I miss that? You (laughs) did. You must have. Um, when the old hawk is looking at the new hawk and dove and he sees hawk as the red rage and he sees dove as a white light oh yeah scribbled out yeah and and can't comment on what dove is yeah on what yeah. and what we're talking about is the black lanterns can see the emotional spectrum so you know the, like the rage of the red lanterns they see people glowing red light yeah um you know they see people glowing green light etc um and dove of the new hawk and dove uh duo is a glowing white light and it was kind of hinted on at comic-con that there might be white lanterns right so i think this might be the first hint of that to come i agree and boy i can't believe i I, I missed that yeah but what do you think of the issue well i have to say um i have never cared for hawk and dove or sock and glove, as I like to call them. Sock and glove. <laughs> <laughs> um, the book picks up on Heroes Day, uh, like the the uh, blackest uh, blackest night number one does. Um, you know, there's a whole bunch of dead Teen Titans, and you know, so we expect to see them all back. I applaud DC Comics on putting Necrophilia on the cover of the book. <laughs> DC, thank you for sponsoring Necrophilia. I mean, there is really nothing that I like to see more than a zombie, you know, tonguing someone. Uh, so, so thank you, DC. Thank you. Um, yeah. I, th- I think the book is really well illustrated. Um, there was something that I was really hoping was going to happen in the book um, that did not happen. And maybe it's going to happen in the next issue, but I, I, I was hoping. Well, I don't want to spoil it. There, there's ah, a. But now I want to know. <laughs> okay. Well, spoiler <laughs> alert. Um, I had very much hoped that uh, Beast Boy Garfield was going to be killed in this book. I'm, I've been hoping that for years. I really dislike the character, and would re- he gets so much page time. Uh, I would have liked to have seen him go away for a little while. So uh, was not surprised at all. Okay. And under the banner of spoilers um, was not surprised at all to see Hawk 
get killed in the book. Yes. Um, she had I'm going to die written all over her. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, is it me or does the uh, black the black lantern hawk look like something out of a Todd McFarlane book? Yeah, he does. Well, you know, I think that's the Ed Baines art a little bit. Yeah. You know, I was wondering that hawk. Uh-huh. That's Hank Hall, right? Correct. Didn't he become monarch? Uh-huh. Did he ever revert back to becoming Hank Hall? Wouldn't he be a Black Lantern monarch? Got me. Got just me. Just putting that out there. I don't know how that works, but I was kind of thinking the same thing. I just assumed there was something I was missing. Which is probably pretty accurate for both of us. We probably, considering neither one of us follow Titans very closely. Right. Um, nor did I even know that Monarch was dead. I guess I, I should have, but I haven't read anything since, what was it Armageddon 2000? Monarch 2000? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been a while since I've, I've seen the character. But I, I thought it was a well-done book. I didn't love the book, um, but I don't regret having picked it up. Yeah, it's an interesting book. And I think the aspect of it that I didn't, I, I think the part that hurt it for me, or the you know the part that didn't make it, I'm still going to read the series, but I think the part that made it not resonate as much as some of the others is that I just really don't care about the Titans. Well, um, and all the good members I thought kind of left the team already. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you know, the important members of the Titans, you know, have been Dick Grayson. And yeah. Dick, all of all of Dick Grayson's stuff is going to be over in the Batman Blackest Night book. Um, and so the characters that are remaining, I'm just not that interested in. Yeah, and you know, yeah. I mean, it's got Kid Flash, but it doesn't seem like he's going to be a big piece of this aspect of it, right? Of, of the Titans piece. Um, you know, it seems like it's going to primarily focus on Beast Boy, Donna Troy, and Hawk and Dove. Right. And um, I got to tell you, Hawk and Dove are really I, I I've never liked those characters. Yeah, even when they were guys, yeah, I didn't really care for them. Yeah, and making them chicks hasn't made them any more interesting. <laughs> so, I, I like I said, I, I didn't dislike the book. It's just I didn't find it essential. And it's not anything where if I forgot to pick up issue two that I'd feel like I missed anything. Yeah. But no, I'll I'm, pick, I'm with it. Yeah, I'm going to pick up issue two as long as I remember it. <laughs> <laughs> so, a, anyway, I don't know how to rate it. I mean, other than to just say, eh, it was all right. Yeah, it was, it was it, all right. It I was thought it was pretty. I thought it was pretty. Um, I'd say, and I'd say it's the weakest of the Blackest Night tie-ins right now. Uh, Again, not counting Tales of the Green Lantern Corps. Thank you. Or whatever that was. We appreciate that qualification. Yeah. Um, You know, but the Blackest Night, Batman, Superman, and Titans, for me, it kind of goes in that order. Batman, Superman, and Titans. Yeah. Um, None of them are, I don't think, essential reading uh, but they're all interesting enough, and the Titans is probably the weakest of the bunch, but again, it's interesting, and maybe something important will happen in the next two issues. Maybe Beast Boy will die. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Hopefully. I, in fact, maybe we should start a, a letter-writing campaign. Kill Beast Boy. <laughs> Kill him now. <laughs> Kill him now. <laughs> well, next up is our uh, Bat Book Roundtable, and before we get into this week's issues of uh, Bat Books, I want to talk about uh, a book that came out last week that I had an opportunity to read. And in the process of doing so, Paul, I am calling you out. You're you're calling shenanigans? I am calling you out, my friend. You are a sexist, sexist pig. Apparently. Okay? You said last week that Batgirl was so bad, Batgirl number one, 
was so yes. bad that you were out, you were done, you weren't picking up Batgirl number two. I stick by that. Okay. I read this book this week. I don't think that it was a terrific book, but I certainly don't find it to be as terrible as Batman and Robin or Red Robin, books that you continue to read. I think <laughs> that you hate the vagina. That's what I'm saying. You, uh, Paul, I, are a vagina hater. I am a No, I'm not. I can't even say that as a joke. I am not a vagina-hating bat person. <laughs> um, but, you, you think that the girls are getting cooties in the bat cave, and you are not interested in the bat girls. Because I got to tell you, as much as I dislike the spoiler, um, I did not find this to be an awful book. Um, did I think it was a great book? No, but I think it was readable and I think it shows promise and I'm, I'm sticking around for number two and I, I just, you're a great big sexist pig. You owe our listeners an apology, Paul. How many issues of Gotham City Sirens have you purchased? That is not the point. That is not what Ooh. we're talking about. <laughs> Ooh, exactly. <laughs> I need you to stay on task here, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Damn it, Paul. <laughs> okay. So- and perhaps that's not a good example because this issue, are you are you are you done with Batgirl? Aaron yeah, liked it. I'm done harassing you. Aaron has crappy taste. You um, got crappy taste. Yeah, there <laughs> there you go. I said it. There we go. Uh, um, Gotham City Sirens number three came out this week. Same artist, Guillaume March, uh, but different writer. Usually it's by Paul Dini. Mm-hmm. This issue was by Scott Lobdell. Uh huh. Um, and maybe it's because it's a different writer. Considering it's called Gotham City Sirens, this issue was entirely the Riddler and Batman. Um, you, you, you get one page with Poison Ivy and Catwoman on it, but the rest of the book is pretty much focused squarely on the Riddler uh, with you know b- brief appearances by Batman. But it's a, I thought it was a really good issue. Um, oddly enough, even though it's a guest writer, or I don't know if Scott Lobdell is the ongoing writer, it felt like it, it, it fit in perfectly with what Paul Dini's been doing with the title. Oh, really? Um, yeah, it fits very strongly into what's going. You know what Paul Dini did with Detective Comics and what he's doing with Streets of Gotham. You know, Riddler has reformed. He is a private detective, and right now he's searching for a serial killer. And he's you know working with Batman to find the serial killer. So I, I've actually really enjoyed what they've done with his character. Uh, it, it makes me really sad because I know. Eventually, somewhere down the line, some writer is going to come in and make Riddler a villain again. Mm-hmm. And that makes me sad because I really like his character right now. Yeah. Um, and the Riddler is not the easiest character to like. Yeah. But, um, you know, Gotham City Sirens number three, Scott Lobdell, Guillaume March. If you've not been picking up the series, honestly, the first two issues were really not that great. I, I was really kind of pondering dropping it. But this third issue was, I thought, a great read. And, uh, you know, I'm probably going to stick with it, and, at least, and see how the next issue does. Mm-hmm. It saved itself for another issue. <laughs> okay, so maybe you don't hate Lady Bat people so much. I only like the villains. Bat girls. <laughs> no, I liked Cassandra Kane. You know what? Speaking of girls, speaking of the vagina. <laughs> God. The, or the vajayjay. The vajayjay. The vag. Um... <laughs> Batman, Batwoman. 
Uh huh. <laughs> in Detective Comics. Yeah, number eight fifty six. Uh, number eight fifty six, which is the third issue of the run, came out this week. Yeah. Um, by Greg Rucka and J. H. Williams the third. Yep. It's, we're not it, going to talk too long on this because we've talked about every issue thus far. Yeah, awfully but what pretty. What do you think? I thought it was, I think it re, re, remains an awfully pretty book. I think it is the middle part of the story that we've come into, mm-hmm. um, and so as the middle part of the story, it's not as exciting as uh, the, the the first two books. Um, some interesting you know plot developments. I wasn't wowed by this issue as I have been of the other two. But like I said, it's that middle part of the story. Um, I was actually more impressed with the co-feature uh, yeah. for the question, which I really enjoyed. Um, I, 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 and I think I, what I'm enjoying so much about that is Cully Hamner's artwork. Isn't it great? Yeah, it really is. It really is. I, I, he has such a uh, vivid way of, di- of displaying the, the, uh, action the fight sequences you know it's it's very you know uh, cinematic Mm -hmm. Uh, i really get a kick out of that i'm I'm enjoying it yeah and i do apologize for the ringing in the background okay Uh, i didn't realize there was a phone in the room with me uh (laughs) is it the bat phone those responsible yes it is red um (laughs) is is bat girl calling she wants to talk to you about uh (laughs) about your hate she wants to know why yeah why why I'm so angry. I wasn't angry last night. No. <laughs> nice. Um, but yeah, I, you know, the, I think, I, I think that uh, it's a necessary uh, story, the Batwoman story. Uh, it's the middle part. Like I said, just wasn't wowed by it. But still, you know, it, it, it is what it is. And it's still very pretty to look at. Um, was, did not know that... Um, I, I don't know when Maggie Sawyer moved to Gotham to join their police department. Is Neither that, do I. Um, is that something that's uh, happened in another book, or did that happen in this book, and we're just being now being told about it? I don't know. I'm sure maybe something was mentioned in Superman. Well, I think it's important that you know DC you know corral all the lesbian characters into one book. Yeah, and <laughs> that's what they're doing. That's Maggie what it Sawyer, seems like to me. Renee Montoya. Yeah, you got. And, yeah, it, it's the uh, alternative lifestyles, you know, uh, DC Universe title. I, I, there, there's a part of me that, that finds that amusing, and a part of me that just seems it's kind of ridiculous, you know. I don't think there are any other gay characters in the DC Universe, are there? I think they're all in Detective Comics. Well, there is the uh, – the, there's a member of Flash's rogues. Uh, oh, yeah. Is the it trips. the pi- no, Piper? A, the Piper. Yeah, the Piper. So uh, <laughs> it just kind of – like I said, it kind of amuses me. I was like, well okay, – I see that uh, Maggie Sawyer is in the issue, and then of course you've always got the question, and you know we're keeping all of the uh, you know lesbian crime fighters under the banner of one title. <laughs> <laughs> so next issue with the Pied Piper. Yeah, exactly. Special guest gay. <laughs> yeah. If if the Pied Piper does guest star any time during this run, our eyes on you, DC. That's right. Well, what did you think of the book? You know, I enjoyed it. Um, you know, again, it's. Not every issue of of a book can be super duper awesome. Um, you know, again, it's an essential part of the story. It's just, you know, it wasn't as exciting as the previous two issues, or right. maybe just, you know, the fascination is worn off. I don't know, but it's yeah. still a good read. Um, again, like you, I've really been enjoying the question uh, co feature, yeah, and especially this issue. I mean, I really do like Cully Hamner's art. Yeah. It's very stylized, and he does action 
especially fighting. Yeah. Very well, like yeah. martial arts. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I thought that was great. Um, but overall, you know, I mean, uh, what can we say that we haven't already said about Detective Comics? It's still worth reading. Um, still a great book. Yeah. You know, if you're going to start it, start with the first issue, obviously. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, so far, there's not been a – other than the first issue of the series, there's not been a good jumping on point. You know, I think you'd have a hard time coming in going, okay, what's going on? You know? Oh, yeah. Uh, so anyway, good book. Um, we talked a little bit about uh, Flash's Rogues. <laughs> well, you know, I did read a couple of bat books before we get to Flash's oh, Rogues. Sorry, I read two more bat. Look at yeah. you, so excited! I'm sorry. He's I thought like, I thought I found a segue there. Aaron, well, <laughs> I'll mention Flash somewhere in here. Please do. Yeah. Um, so speaking of Flash, I read Batman and Robin number three this week. <laughs> oh yes, that that craptastic book that I dropped. Yeah, the craptastic book that Aaron dropped after issue two, and that I'm dropping after this issue, because language on, goddamn, this issue was awful. It, it was absolutely atrocious. And, you know, basically, uh, for those who have been following the storyline, Damien as Robin, Damien Wayne as Robin, quit. He left to go seek out Professor Pig, who's the villain of this storyline. And basically, Dick Grayson Batman has to find him. Uh, so Robin is captured by Professor Pig, who basically does like a disco dance, striptease, lap dance to Robin. Uh-huh. Uh, and Which I'm not kidding. Really he wrong. takes off clothing uh, in a pig mask, and on he, he sits on Robin's lap. Um, Robin breaks free, beats the hell out of everyone with a drill and a saw. Uh, Batman comes in, there's more fighting, it's, I, I, you know, and then basically it it leads into what appears to be a new Red Hood. Yeah. Um, But more of a vigilante Red Hood than a bad guy Red Hood. I'm not 100% sure where they're going with it. Honestly... You know, the art in this issue, I felt, was the strongest of the three issues. I really, the art in this issue was fantastic. Uh, Frank Quitely does a great job this issue, uh, more so than the last two issues. This issue feels less rushed. The action looks good. Um, The coloring is fantastic. It's really spot on that way. But, you know, Grant Morrison's story is just bad. You know, it's three issues. It probably should have been six. And I know I'm not normally a fan of decompression and, you know, but... There was so much going on in these three issues that it feels like there is no emotional resonance to anything, and it just ends up being confusing. Overall, I think I'm done with Batman and Robin. There are umpteen number uh, other back books on the market. (laughs) Yeah, and most of them came out this week. (laughs) Yeah, and you know what? I can't name a single bat book (laughs) other than Red Robin Um, or Batgirl. Hey, garbage. easy now. <laughs> that I didn't enjoy more than reading these last three issues of Batman and Robin. Really, every other Bat book on the market is worth picking up over Batman and Robin. Well, and I, I, I can't help but agree with you there. That book was terrible. Now, I didn't read number three, but one and two were just awful. Yeah. And, you know, there was another Bat book that I read that was even, again, better than the Batman and Robin. Um, it's a miniseries. It looks like the first issue of six, Batman the Widening Gyre, G-Y-R-E. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, saw, is, I saw I saw the ads for that. That's a Kevin Smith book, isn't it? Yep, Kevin's yeah. written by Kevin Smith with art by Walter Flanagan and Art Thibert. Okay. Um, 
again, it, this is a Kevin Smith bat book. So look for characters to act more extreme than they would normally act. Mm-hmm. You know, Robin is a little bit sillier than he normally is, you know, a little bit goofier. Batman talks a hell of a lot more than we're used to hearing him talk. Um, Poison Ivy is a lot more sexual than she usually is. Um, overall, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a pretty decent read. Uh, the art, you know, by Walter Flanagan, and I. this is, I think, their second miniseries. I think they had another one mm-hmm. uh, called Cacophony, which yeah. starred Onomatopoeia. Onomatopoeia, yeah. Yeah, from the, from uh, the Green, Green Arrow book. Green Arrow book yeah. that Kevin Smith wrote. Yes. Um, so this is my first... I don't know if this is, you know, a sequel to that series in any way, because I didn't read it. Right. Uh, I think it stands on its own. I, I enjoyed it. You know, it's 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 a more lighthearted read, but at the same time, it's got darker aspects to it. You see the demon, um, Etrigan and the Demon guest stars. Right. And he's eating people in it. Oh, um, always, you know, quite, always a plus. Yeah, quite vividly. You see him eating people and taking a <laughs> chomp out of someone's head. Um, nice. You know, but it's a, it's a fun book. It involves Batman, you know, once again, there's something going on at Arkham Asylum. He goes to Arkham Asylum, and it looks like there's a breakout, and Etrigan the Demon's involved. Um, and it looks like he's saved by some type of... It, it, it's still hard to tell uh, what the... Uh, he's saved by someone almost in, like, a devil mask. Right. Uh, you know, it's and that's the mystery, I guess. Mm-hmm. But overall, you know, if you're looking for something a little different and you like Kevin Smith's writing style, uh, which is really kind of hit or miss for me. Mm-hmm. I really love some of his stuff. Some of his stuff is just kind of not working for me. Right. But this I, this worked for me. And maybe it just worked for me because Batman and Robin number three sucks so bad. <laughs> uh, but Batman so your, the your expectations gyre. were low? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, was, I was like, ah, something's got to be better than that. Um, Batman the Widening Gyre, number one of six. It is it, worth a read. Three ninety nine, uh, first issue of six. Give it a shot and uh, let us know what you think. Very good. Oh, um, and speaking of the Flash, <laughs> <laughs> the Flash Rebirth number four came out t- this week, didn't it? Yes, yes, it did. Written by Jeff Johns and uh, drawn by Ethan Van Skyver. What you think? Okay, I'm going to be honest. Uh huh. And we've already said we are whores for Jeff Johns yep. on the show. I hated this issue i didn't like it either i i didn't like the art um i there are a couple of things there are elements of it that i liked i don't want to say you know that there wasn't anything here that i liked but uh i this is seeming a whole lot to me like a story that could have been that could have been wrapped up a lot quicker mm-hmm. <laughs> you know um this is one of those things where i feel like we're constantly being told what a good man Barry Allen is, but in this series, you don't really see it, you know, and I want to be shown what a good man Barry Allen is. I don't want to be told what a good man Barry Allen is. I agree. You know, and it's, I really hate to say it because I know Johns can write the flash. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because John's run on the flash was fantastic. Oh, absolutely. Fantastic run. And you know, even the flash's appearances in blackest night and green lantern. I enjoy the way mm-hmm. he writes The Flash. Yeah. But, damn it, this book set reads... I'm cussing a lot today. Um, <laughs> it re- Just because this is this series, The Flash Rebirth, has been such a fantastical disappointment for me. Yeah. You know, Green Lantern Rebirth was amazing. I expected the same. 
and I have not enjoyed a single issue of the Flash Rebirth. Yeah. Honestly, it reads like it was written by Grant Morrison. It has that confusing science talk, doesn't make any sense, so much crap's going on, issues over aspect to it that I'm used to from a Final Crisis issue. Yeah. Well, you know, part of my problem with the Flash books right now is that I understand the need for Golden Age Flash. Mm-hmm. And I understand the need for the Wally West Flash and for Kid Flash. I don't see the need for Silver Age Flash. You know, yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure what Barry Allen brings to the Flash universe that is better than what he brought by his noble sacrifice in, Infin- in uh, Crisis on the Infinite on the Infinite Earths. You know, I think that his character was better suited as being the guy who died. Yeah. You know, um, you than know, being the guy been, who came back. <laughs> you know, more so than anybody else, he's been dead for the longest amount of time. Yeah, he's been he's been dead for, you know, 20 years. I, I know it's hard to debate the merits of Wally versus Barry because there's an entire generation who knows nothing but Wally. That's right. Um, including me, you know, I mean, I'm familiar with Barry and I, I've read Barry in older books, but you know, Wally has been the flash for 25 years. Yeah. You know, since 1984, when infinite crisis came out. Yeah. Or not crisis on infinite earth. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I get it. You know, they, they want to bring back, it's kind of funny cause they're bringing back the old versions of some characters and replacing Superman and Batman. Right. Um, with Monel and Dick Grayson. But, you know, and I, I guess my problem isn't so much that they're bringing Barry Allen back. My problem is the way the, the book is written, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. You know, I really just do not like the writing in this book. Well, I think that if, if indeed the goal is to restore Barry Allen to current continuity, you've got to show a reason for him. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's good enough reason just to say, well, he's, he, he, he never really died. You know, he's just been trapped in the Speed Force or wherever the hell he's been. And, you know, he's back now. <laughs> he's been at the strip club for 25 years. <laughs> exactly. And I, I love, you know, there there is a, another returning character in this book that I was actually pretty happy to see because I like him a great deal. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't get the point for Barry. And Flash Rebirth has not made the case. You know, I agree. I, and, and, and I think that you have to do that because, you know... When you read Jay Garrick over in Justice Society, there is a very firm reason that that he's around. You know, he is educating the next generation of heroes, and he is noble, and he has that, you know, World War II, fought the greatest war type of mentality and ethic about him that other characters don't have. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, I just can't make a big distinction between Wally and Barry. Yeah. And, you know, because uh, Wally used to be, you know, the fun-loving, you know, like, a, you know, the teenage Flash. Yeah. But now Wally's not. Yeah. You know, he's he's not the teenage Flash. Now he's, you know, he's more serious and he mm-hmm. still tells wisecracks and, you know, basically he's Barry Allen. Yeah. You know, um, and so now we have two Barry Allens and I'm, I, I I don't know. You know, I don't know what they're going to do with Wally West after the end of the series. Yeah. You know, um, obviously there will still be a Kid Flash. Obviously, I'm pretty sure it'll still be Bart Allen because 
there have been a number of series, including Blackest Night Titans, take place after Flash Rebirth. Right. So, you know, we know it's Barry Allen and Bart Allen, but what we don't know is what happens to Wally West and the rest of the speedsters. Right. I'm just, you know, I, I'm just not seeing the reason for it, and I'm, and I'm hoping that they bring it to me, but I'm so far I have not been wildly impressed by Flash Rebirth. Yeah. Which you surprises know, and, me with the talent that's on the book. Yeah, because even the art, Van Skyver. Yeah. You know, there are some pages that are, you know, relatively strong. Mm-hmm. But there are some pages that are absolutely awful. Especially yeah. the final page. It's a full page spread um, of Barry Allen running Oh, yeah. You know, it, towards it looks you. so awkward. It looks so bad. Yeah. I, I really had to... Double check, you know, because it, it doesn't even look like Van Skyver's art. Right. It, it looks like, I don't know, it looks like a 15-year-old druid. But yet uh, the the page before that, or two pages before that, with the reveal of the returning character, mm-hmm. I think it's a great page. Yeah, and it, but that looks like Van Skyver art. That's what yeah, I'm used yeah, to seeing does. from Van Skyver. Yeah. So I don't know if that last page is just not his or what, but or that last page rushed, is but, bad. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of the pages are a mess. Mm-hmm. In this book, you know, everything that occurs inside the Speed Force just looks like a mess. Yeah. And, you know, that's one thing that, you know, with when Johns took over Green Lantern, there was the whole, you know, computer coloring, and right. you had the, the Green Lantern floating above the Green Lantern symbol. Right. Uh, which looked really cool. You know, they're doing a similar aspect with the Flash and yeah. Lightning and all that stuff. Yeah. And it's just confusing. There's yeah. just, it, the pages are really, really busy. Yeah. Um, and, and not well constructed. You're right. That last, that last page, um, you know, it, it, the, the idea is to show all the speedsters in one shot and we're all running off and, you know, going to kick ass and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's just not, uh, it's not captivating. I don't think it's particularly effective. Damn Skippy. So, yeah. Flash Rebirth, uh, sadly, you know, considering we're giving it as bad a review as we gave Captain America Reborn number two. Yeah. Uh, but we're both done with Captain America Reborn. I'm going to stick out the Flash for the yeah, next two issues. Um, I am too. You know, I hope that good will come of it. I love the Flash. <laughs> and honestly, I think the main reason I'm sticking with it is because I fully intend on buying the Flash ongoing series when it starts. Right. Um I love Jeff Johns. I, I I hope Vance Giver isn't the regular artist on the series. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think he draws the Flash well. I, I no, don't I, think he does kinetic, fast movement very well. Yeah, I think and you do have to have a particular type of artist who can draw that that motion uh, very well. And and you know some of his some of his shots, the Flash look like the Flash is posing. It doesn't look like the Flash is running. And yeah. you know, and to that point. The, the pages where, you know, uh, somebody's standing still, those look great. Mm-hmm. You know, it's where, you know, I think our complaints are is, is in those motion scenes where, you know, it's just not very compelling. I don't know if they, I don't think they've announced a, an artist for the ongoing series. And I would never want them to take Doug Mank off of Green Lantern. I want that, him to be on that till the day he dies. <laughs> uh, but, you know, if they're looking for a good artist, Cully Hamner. Yeah. I think Cully Hamner could probably do a damn good flash. Yeah. So uh, that was our thoughts on that. What else did you read this week? I read a couple of books, but well, I, I know I, you read a couple, too. I read a couple of Marvel books, and uh, two that I'd like to mention now are follow-ups to the War of Kings storyline uh, that we've talked about. 
Uh, I read Guardians of the Galaxy number 17 and uh, Nova number 28. And I will just briefly say, you know, these are books by Abnett and Lanning uh, that, you know, it's the, 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 you know, space science fiction books that Marvel's doing so well. Both of these books are fantastic. Um, in fact, both books end really strong. Uh, there has been a storyline in Guardians of the Galaxy that has been kind of the B story. It's been the background story, and it emerges as the A story at the back of the book. And, you know, it's the it, the War of Kings led into it, um, and now they're, they're, they're picking up with the next thing. I don't want to spoil anything, but let me just say, if you liked Jim Starlin's original run with Adam Warlock way so many years ago, you have got to read Guardians of the Galaxy number 17. It is fantastic. Same thing with Nova. Um, there is a huge uh, reveal at the end of that book that harkens back to the original run of Nova uh, when the character was brand new. Um, and it, it's also kind of a throwback for, for some of the old-time Nova geeks. So uh, if you're an old-school Nova guy like me, you're going to love this book. It's really it, it picks up right at the end of War of Kings and just pushes right into the next story. And one of the things that I like so much of War of Kings is that you know it did what the, those big crossover story arc events ought to do, is it sets up a new status quo, and already these two books are jumping right in with both feet to the new status quo to tell those stories in a changed universe. Very exciting stuff. Highly recommend it. Also a good jumping on point if you want to get into the uh, Marvel space books right now. This is a time to do it. Do it now! Do it now! Damn it! Um... (laughs) You know, I read a couple of other books as well. Yes, sir. Uh, I read two other books that I've gotten. Well, three other books. Um, I read The Darkness Pit. Um, Now, that's The Darkness Slash Pit, um, not The Darkness Pit, um, (laughs) from Image, Top Cow Comics. And it's a kind of a crossover with The Darkness, who is Jackie Estacado. He's a mafia hitman who's possessed by The Darkness. Um, which is an ancient power that when he's in the dark, he's able to basically create creatures from the dark, create monsters from the dark. It's almost like a, um, imagine he's a a Green Lantern, but his powers are controlled by darkness. Right. Okay. Um, And then you have Pit, who is a human-alien hybrid uh, created by aliens, and he's basically been genetically engineered as a killing machine, but I don't know, I guess he has a good heart or something. Um, so he rebels, he escapes to Earth, and he's connected with this boy, Timmy. Uh, I'm not 100% familiar with the whole Pit background. Um, I, I guess Timmy is kind of also genetically engineered. Um, and they, I guess, travel the Earth looking for other uh, extraterrestrial villains. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, Pit hasn't had a... There hasn't been a first, uh, a new Pit comic in about 10 years. Oh wow! Has it been um, yeah. that long? It's been a while. In fact, the, the the cover of this book says the first Pit comic in a decade. Wow! Um, now Pit was created by Dale Keown, K E O W N, right? Um, who used to be an artist on the Incredible Hulk during yes, Peter, he da- was. Peter yeah. David's run. Yeah, yeah. and um, you know, he created the Pit when he came over to Image Comics, and I think there were about twenty issues or so of the Pit. Um, I don't know if they were all published by Image Comics. I know he did his full bleed studios. You know, like so many Image Comics guys, they kind of left and did their own studio thing. Right. Uh, 
I loved the pit when it first started. I didn't stick it out all the way through to the end of what was available or what is available. So I don't know where the series went. And sadly, now that I'm in the mood for it, it seems damn near impossible to try to get all 20 issues. Right. Uh, you know, they're, they're just hard to find. The Darkness Pit is written by Paul Jenkins. Um, Paul Jenkins, you know, from many Marvel books, um, many books in, in general. Paul Jenkins is just a great writer. Um, and drawn by Dale Keown, art by Dale Keown. Apparently it's been in the works for three years, and there's three issues. Uh, I don't know if there are... If the delays are art-related or something else related, they don't exactly say. I would say if they were art-related, I totally understand. This is the most beautiful book I've seen this year. Uh-huh. Hands down, this is the best art I have seen this year in a comic book. Well, that's saying a lot. We've seen some really pretty books this year. We have seen some pretty books. We haven't seen anything as beautiful as this. It's wow. almost like old-school Bernie Wrightson but painted uh, i mean it's it's absolutely amazing stuff dale keown knocks it out of the park and if you're familiar with dale keown's art he's no slouch he is a great artist to begin with right this is the best art i've ever seen from him this is an wow. a beautiful book i have nothing bad to say about the art on this book and you know what the story is really good too you know this is going to be hands down my book of the week i'd say um great art good story it's it's fun, it's interesting. Even if you don't know the characters, you'll there's enough in this first issue that you you'll understand who they are and you'll be able to get through the story. It's a three issue miniseries. And if you read this first issue, you're in for the long haul. Yeah. It, it is fantastic stuff. Um The Darkness Pit, it's two ninety nine from Image Top Cow Comics. Huh. I'm yeah. gonna have to take the, you know, I, I there were so many uh books on the shelf this week. That I think maybe there was some stuff I missed, and I don't even recall seeing that on the shelf. I I highly recommend picking it up. I will take uh, a now, look at that. You know, it's funny because you know it does start a young boy, Timmy, but it is a very violent book. There's blood and guts all over the place um, because it involves, without going too much into spoilers, alien zombies almost. All right. Um, yeah. So it's it, it, in fact, when I say alien zombies, I mean not zombies I mean not only zombies created by aliens I mean zombies of aliens as well oh nice um you know so it's it's but it's all beautifully drawn um so you know I go into the violence issue because I read that and then I followed it up by reading a Disney Pixar comic book nice yeah from Boom Studios Kids Line um they've been doing some great stuff uh they've been doing things like the Muppet Show uh they picked up a lot of rights to Disney Pixar uh, pictures and Disney pictures in general and in fact I think in the coming months they have some really interesting looking stuff actually starring Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck. They have like a, a Lord of the Rings sword and sorcery epic starring Mickey Mouse. They have a superhero book starring Donald Duck. It looks like a lot of fun. Uh, if you're a Disney fan it's probably worth picking up uh, because they're well written uh, books and in fact the, the book that I'm about to talk about is The Incredibles uh, number zero written by Mark Wade. And, you know, Mark Wade is, you know, it's not like they just hired some guy off the street to write these Disney books. Mark Wade is a, a good comic book writer. In fact, he wrote a great run on the Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was really looking forward to seeing what he did with The Incredibles, which, you know, let's be honest, The Incredibles is highly inspired by the Fantastic Four. 
I, you know, the the, ish, the number zero issue, if you've seen the movie, the number zero issue is kind of a prequel. Um, it's basically the family on their way to the delivery room because Helen Incredible or Helen, I don't know, they have last names. I'm sure it's not Incredible. <laughs> um, Mrs. Incredible, she's going to have their baby, uh, Jack-Jack, who is the, the baby in the Incredibles movie. Right. So it's kind of, I guess, a Jack-Jack origin story. You know, and on the way, they meet up with some supervillains, but they don't have any costumes. And if you're you you know, if you're familiar with the Incredibles universe, they weren't a crime-fighting team until the events of that movie. So, you know, they, they, it's not like they have the Incredible costumes or anything like that. I'm assuming when the ongoing series comes, again, I said this was a zero issue. Right. Uh, when the ongoing series comes, they'll be in their regular costumes. Um, if you like the Incredibles movie, you're going to like this book. Uh, it, it's it's written in very much the style of the movie. Mm-hmm. It's got some good humor. It's got some classic-looking villains, but some cool-looking villains actually too. Something you know, some very unique ideas. You know, Mark Wade is a great writer. You know, so it's kid-friendly, but you know, it does have big superhero action. And it, if you go into it knowing who the characters are, I, I think you'll really enjoy it. If you're not an Incredibles fan, I don't think you you'll care about the book. Um, so really, you know, if you liked the Incredibles movie, you know, and you have another three bucks somewhere that you, you know you love spending money on comic books like the rest of us, <laughs> um, if you want to be in the poorhouse, pick up uh, Boom Studios Incredibles number zero came out this week. It was two ninety nine, and uh, it's the start of an ongoing Incredible series, which I think is also written by um, Mark Wade. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, and along those lines. You and I both read Fantastic Four number 570 this week. We did. We did. And, you know, we put a, a, a call out there uh, last week for, you know, your feedback and, and, and whatnot. And we received an email from one of our readers, Sardell. And I'm going to read that email for you right now. He says, hi, Aaron and Paul. I hi. just wanted <laughs> Hi, Sardell. <laughs> I, I just wanted to let you guys know that I've been enjoying the podcast well. Thank you, Sardell. Uh, it's really mostly my work. Uh, Paul here, he just lifts right out. So Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, if you read between the lines, Paul, that's exactly what he's saying. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw that. Absolutely. In fact, <laughs> I, he doesn't even say between the lines. Read the next sentence. Yeah, oh, yeah. Paul's yeah. a bastard. Yeah, exactly. Paul's a bastard. It says that right here. Yeah. Huh. Thanks, Sardell. <laughs> <laughs> he says, keep up the good work. I had a request for a future edition of What If We Were Writing. I'd like you guys to tackle the Fantastic Four. I'm a huge fan. My first comic book was a fan, was a Fantastic Four mag, number 305 to be precise, but I've noticed that a lot of folks don't care for them. I think that's due to numbers of bad writers that have been assigned to the FF. This used to be the premier team of the Marvel Universe. Mr. Fantastic, who is often ridiculed, was a certified badass. The Human Torch was cool, instead of people making gay jokes about Flame On. The Thing was a titan who could go toe-to-toe with the Hulk. Now he's the Rodney Dangerfield, no respect. And Sue, well, she's the only character of the four who is thought better of these days. I'm interested to know what you guys think it would take to make them relevant again. And, you know, he all, he references a couple of uh, uh, writing teams on the book, such as, you know, Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, uh, John Byrne, Walt Simonson, Chris Claremont, Mark Wade, or Mark Miller. So uh, to tackle this, um, it, was a, it was a great opportunity because there's a brand new creative team on Fantastic Four this week. So we picked yes. up, both of us, uh, issue number 570, written by, I see, Hickman. Jonathan Hickman. Jonathan Hickman. And... Uh, 
Gosh, art by Dale Eaglesham from Justice Society of America. Very good. This is the book that he quit DC for. Oh, is it? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, Paul, first thoughts? Um, you know, uh, before we go into what if we were writing, I'm going to talk about, you know, we're going to talk about issue 570 right. of the Fantastic Four. I I enjoyed the issue. You know, I've always loved the Fantastic Four. I will say this issue of the Fantastic Four, despite being from a new creative team, is fully informed by some of the past creative teams. Yeah, very much um, so. Very much so. It's not like they start fresh, you know, with just, you know, who the Fantastic Four are, this is their new adventure. This is really kind of a spinoff from what we've seen, you know, writers like Mark Millar and Bendis and... You know, when I say Bendis, I mean things like during Secret Invasion and prior. Mm-hmm. You know, we we see a lot of those aspects, especially of Mister Fantastic, referenced. Right. I I did enjoy the book. Uh, I thought it was I thought it was well written. Um, the art by Dale Eaglesham. I thought the art was very good. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't think Dale Eaglesham's art is necessarily suited to a Fantastic Four book. Right. Uh, I think he makes his characters all a little too muscular. Yeah, I thought uh, Mister Fantastic in specific, was far too built. <laughs> yeah. You know, and honestly, I feel the same way about even Johnny Storm. Yeah. You know, I, I felt that they were all a little too muscular. Yeah. Um, it, it just didn't look right. It's not what I'm used to seeing. Now, that's not to say it's bad. Yeah. It's just not what I'm used to seeing. It's still a good art. Right. Um, you know, I, I will say this. If you're looking for the fun-loving Fantastic Four, this isn't it. <laughs> um, you know, this is definitely similar in feel to stuff like what Mark Millar wrote, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, before him, I think it was Dwayne McDuffie. Even though Dwayne McDuffie had a little bit more of the fun aspect to it as well, right? Um, you know, I, I felt it was—it's not a fun-loving Fantastic Four. It's still very serious. There's big cosmic craziness going on, which which is fun. But the book itself is is very serious in tone. Right. Uh, what do you think, Aaron? Well, there are some things that I really liked about it. Um, first off, I liked the return to the traditional cover. You know. Um, uh, yes, I love the cover. The the Millar book uh, had gone to a, an almost magazine like appearance on the cover, mm-hmm. um, and this book number five seventy has returned to the traditional. Uh, you know, Fantastic Four logo with the uh, bubbles showing, you know, the different characters of the Fantastic Four. And while it's updated art, it's very traditional from like the 70s and 80s books of the Fantastic Four. So it kind of harkens back to the old school superhero team. Um, it was, I, I, I'll admit, I had a little difficulty getting into it. As I was reading, um, the mm-hmm. the first two story pages where you know Reed is up in his treehouse or whatever, and he's uh, talking to his father while a touching story. It seemed a little out of place for a Fantastic Four book. And then I think that there is a huge editing problem in the way that the book was laid out. Uh, flip with me, Paul. I'm flipping. <laughs> it's the page right after uh, his flashback. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's titled Now Across It, and it's them fighting some big robot thing. Yes. And the page opposite of it is an advertisement. Yes, and it's such a it, – it almost looks like a two-page spread because it it's does. so crazy busy. Yeah, and this is an advertisement for, you know, Marvel sleepwear. 
<laughs> and it has got you know um, you know about a dozen good guys and a dozen bad guys, and it's you know it, done in the, the tradition of those big Marvel spot, splash pages. And part of the problem is you know at least one of the characters that's in that advertisement is on the neighboring page. And ah. so when I'm reading this, I'm going, okay, well, what's going on over here? And some of the color palette is the same. Mm-hmm. And so it looks very much like these two pages go together. And it's it hard to separate the advertisement from the story. And so that immediately drew me out of the story. And I sat there for a while going, well, what the hell? <laughs> you know, <laughs> this, this, and, and because it's a Marvel-like ad, I mean, I know that this is a, uh, a, uh, vendor that they have but uh, there really should have been a different placement for this ad in the book because it was very distracting yeah this ad should really be on the back cover or at the end of the book yes um you know they have another spider woman ad that's mm-hmm. uh very sleek very cool looking very itunes looking that yes. i think would have probably fit better on that page i agree i agree so you know I, I had some trouble with that i think that's a that's a that's an editor editorial issue but I liked the book. Um, it did kind of return the tone to the Fantastic Four doesn't fight street-level criminals. Fantastic Four fights big extinction event types of, uh, of bad guys. Mm-hmm. I, I am right there with you that I think some of the, the, the beats in the book are a little off. I think that it is maybe a little serious. I think that Reed is too smart that he doesn't have street mart stories are a little old and we should get away from those. Yeah. Um, You know, this is, and it tells you this right up front. I mean, you know exactly where this book is going. Um, They kind of give you a summary of what's happened on the very first page. And, you know, the fourth point here is despite the fact that he promised Sue that he dismantled the bridge, this big technology that he has, Reed later reassembled it within one of the hidden rooms in his lab. You know, and it's that whole, you know, the the mad scientist, he's got uh, too much smarts, too much ego to think that he can control these wild inventions. And, you know, I think that in 570 issues of Fantastic Four, Maybe we could have grown beyond that type of storytelling for Mr. Fantastic. Yeah, because we've been seeing that for, you know, a while now. Yeah, we've seen it for a long while in the books. In fact, here's my thing. He should have learned his lesson, if at no other point, he should have learned his lesson in Civil War. Yes. You know, in the building of the big Thor clone. You know, that should have been his, huh, you know, maybe some of these things I ought not to be doing. And if you've made a promise to your wife, you know, who left you at the end of Civil War... Maybe you shouldn't do that. Yeah, that's right. That's what that I was. You know, it's Civil War that I was that where most of this stuff came from. Yeah. So you know, um, I, I just I kind of think that's a that's a mistake uh, in this book. And I'm right there with you. I think that um, I, I I like the art for the most part, but Mister Fantastic and Johnny Storm are far too bulky. And hey, when did uh, uh, Johnny Storm develop thermal vision? You know, I noticed that too. Yeah, there there is a scene where Johnny Storm has thermal vision, and he can look inside robots to see that there are humans inside them. I was not familiar that he had this power. Yeah, I'm just like yeah, and that's the problem is I've not been a faithful Fantastic Four reader for a number of years, simply for the fact that I've not liked the stories that were being told there. Um, but you know, I did pick up. You know, I've been reading the or have read the Ultimate Fantastic Four books, and I also read the. Uh, I think it was the under the Max banner, the four, just the number four. 
I don't you know think that was Ma- I think that was Marvel Knights. Oh, Marvel Knights, yeah. I think right. under right. under the Max yeah. banner, it would have been a vastly different book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. It was Marvel Knights, but you know, I read that one, and I've never seen this power displayed. Now, I'll say I'm interested in where the story's going. I think the the last couple of pages were interesting. I don't know that that's you know. Uh, I, I, this is all going to end badly, I'm certain. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, seriously, if this is the way Mr. Fantastic abuses his marriage, he ought not to be married. Damn right. You know, I, 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 I just, I see bad things. Now then, have we covered this issue pretty well? I think so. Let's talk about what if. What if we were writing? What if we were fantastic writing? Four. We were fantastic, writing. fantastic Four. Fantastic Four. Echo. We had that echo. Now, like Sardell, I'm an old time fan of Fantastic Four. Um, right. I, fantastic Four was one of the very first team books I started reading. Um, I came on uh, to the series probably around issue 160 um, and picked up a lot of back issues from there. Um, I love the Fantastic Four when the Fantastic Four is done right. Oh, I agree. Uh, you know, in my mind, the Fantastic Four is first and foremost. <laughs> you get that I did there. Uh, about <laughs> wow, is <laughs> is about family. You know, this is a family superhero team. Um, and, but it's also about exploration. You know, Mister Fantastic, beyond being a mad scientist, and I really I don't like the mad scientist role for him. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that he, he it, when he is done right, he is, you know, scientific knowledge tempered with wisdom. And that's what I like to see. I do enjoy his, uh, uh, you know, thirst for knowledge. You know, he is curious. He's got an inquisitive mind. That's something that's interesting. I think the best stories with Mr. Fantastic are when he is almost like a, uh, a uh, Indiana Jones. You know, where he is just, yeah. he, he, you know, he, he's trying to find the answers to those problems. Um, and so I, when I when I point to those kinds of stories, I'm pointing to some of those those issues that occurred, you know, from about issue 150 through you know 210. I'm pointing to the John Byrne run. Mm-hmm. John Byrne wrote a fantastic, fantastic four. Uh, you know, you can complain a lot about about John Byrne's work, but uh, he had his finger firmly on the pulse of what makes a good Fantastic Four story. There's a dirty joke in there somewhere. But. <laughs> um, I, I will say that while I've always been fairly comfortable with Franklin Richards, never been comfortable with Valeria. Yes. Um, and, you know, look at the names. You've got Reed, you've got Sue, you've got Ben, you've got Johnny, you've got Franklin. Valeria? <laughs> you know, shouldn't her name like be Sally or Sarah or something like that? I mean, Valeria, come on. It could be Apple. <laughs> yeah, Apple. Apple. <laughs> Apple Richards. Apple Richards. Yeah, I, I don't care. For, I don't care for the little girl. And, you know, apparently she's going to be, you know, super smart. You know, she's three years old and, you know, uh, Reed is convinced that she's going to be smarter than him. Which, you know, certainly it wouldn't be hard for her to be more wise than him as currently uh as displayed, but you know, my favorite Fantastic Four stories involve 
you know, cosmic kinds of things. And I know that's probably just making Jonathan's teeth go right on edge right now. But, uh, you know, I enjoy, you know, when they're fighting Galactus, when they're out there exploring. In fact, there was a, a whole series on, on the John Byrne side where they just spent issue after issue exploring the negative zone. Mm-hmm. Those were fun books. You know, and John Byrne had done some, uh, during that period, had done some rather experimental uh, uh, types of storytelling. Like, for instance, instead of you reading the book in Lance in a, a portrait format, you know, where you're reading it, uh, you know, holding the book in traditional book style where the length of the book is running vertically, you'd read it in like a flip book uh, in landscape fashion. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, like the widescreen. Yeah, exactly. Books. And and he he did entire issues like that. And you know, in the negative zone, that worked really well because he had so much to draw. Mm-hmm. And it was, it, those were really terrific stories. Um, I I enjoy the Fantastic Four versus Doctor Doom. I enjoy, you know. Uh, I enjoy the the interpersonal stories. I, you know, I know that you know Ben's not dating Alicia Masters anymore, but I enjoyed those stories. Mm-hmm. I I I think it's high time. You know, Ben Ben Grimm has been the monster that is the thing, for uh, gosh, almost what fifty years. Yeah, I think that it's time for Ben to get married. You know, and I know that you know there are certainly some issues there. But you can't tell me that, you know, he, he can't find somebody and, and have a relationship. I think it's time to move past, at least for a while, that he's the monster storyline. Yeah. You know, and I always enjoyed those those tender moments that, that he had with him and Alicia Masters. Uh, I love, you know, Sue Richards is a character that has continued to evolve. If you go back and you read those uh, 60s and 70s issues of Fantastic Four, she is very much, you know, we've got to protect Sue. You know, she yeah. she really didn't come into her, her own into, in, until the 80s, where, you know, they were characterizing her as the, actually the most powerful member of the team. That she had this, you know, great untapped, you know, power. And she has really gotten to, you know, use and explore that, that you know, invisibility and force field power that she has. Um, I love Sue Storm. Now, I don't care Sue Richards. Uh... I don't care for it when they portray her as a great big sex pot. Yeah. Now, granted, she's hot. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, she really ought to be a MILF. You know, she shouldn't be the, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember the actress's name. Uh, Jessica Alba? Yeah, Jessica. She's not Jessica Alba. You know, she she is a mom, and I think that she is not someone who is is hung up on her sexuality in terms of being sexy to the world. You know, I think that she is someone who is just very – her internal confidence is what makes her sexy. So you didn't like it when the the four on her costume was a cutout of her cleavage? I didn't – I did not care for that. Oh, okay. <laughs> I did not care for that. <laughs> um, and along those lines, I will say um, Reed Richards is an older man. Yes. You know, and he needs to be portrayed that way. Um, in the movie, you know, he is portrayed as young. In Ultimate Fantastic Four, he's a young man. Um in the the in, on my Fantastic Four team, Reed Richards is an older man. You know he's got white you know at the temples for a reason. You know he is you know fifteen twenty years older than his wife. He, he is an older, more experienced person than the other members of that team, except maybe Ben because he and Ben are contemporaries. Yeah, I have always been a fan of Fantastic Four, and you know there's not a whole lot I would change in the team dynamic. 
Um, but some of my favorite books were in that run where they were filling out the ranks because, you know, somebody was down. Like, you know, it was one of those times when the thing lost his powers. So, you know, he was just Ben Grimm. Yep. And there was a, there was a, a nice segment where uh, uh, Reed Richards had built like an exoskeleton for him. And you know, he had he had a thing suit, but they also added other members to the team, and so they had like Luke Cage, and they had Thundra, and you had Tigra, and they and it was really kind of an extended Fantastic Four family. I always enjoyed those kinds of stories. Uh, you know what's kind of sad? You know what one of my favorite Fantastic Four stories is? What's that? The one with the new Fantastic Four that was drawn by Art Adams. I think it was Hulk, Wolverine, Spider Man, and. Was it Ghost Rider? Oh, I don't remember the fourth one. I don't think I ever saw that. Really? Yeah. The Fantastic Four were captured by the Mole Man. And so the, they had a substitute Fantastic Four. And it was, like I said, it was drawn by Art Adams. So you can imagine Art Adams on the Fantastic Four. Yeah. And, you know, I remember Spider-Man, Hulk, Wolverine. And again, like I said, I'm pretty sure the fourth was Ghost Rider. But I thought it was an... It was only for a couple of issues, but I thought it was awesome. I really enjoyed that <laughs> that that short little run on the book. Yeah, you know, it was it was cool. Well, and I always enjoyed those. You know, when they'd bring in extra characters, and you know, uh, somebody broke their leg, or you know, they weren't going to be able to to you know be out there and fighting and bat fighting bad guys and whatnot, and so they'd bring somebody else in. I always kind of liked that. That was always fun. You still had the character there. But they just weren't able to go off and, you know, fight Galactus. Yeah, they weren't, yeah. you know, dead. Right, right. And those were always fun books. I enjoyed those. Um, I there There is a whole dynamic within the Fantastic Four that I enjoy, even when they're not fighting bad guys. I enjoy the, the interplay between the characters. When, when, they're, when they're written right, you know, y'all, it's almost enough to just watch them sit around and watch TV and talk about what's on television, you know, mm-hmm. because they are they are just such real characters. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's so rare to see them done that way. You know, I, really I, I, I like those quiet, you know, some of those quiet stories really are really good. Yeah. But, you know, you don't see them because everyone has to assume, oh, it has to be big action. And it doesn't have to be. Right. You know, it could just be, you know, like I was talking about with the Incredibles, a story of them on the way to the doctor and just running into villains on the way, you know? Yeah. So, so that is your Fantastic Four. Well, you know, I, I, I think so. I mean, I wouldn't make any huge changes except in the kind of stories I'd tell. You know, I mean, it, we've talked on, on other, you know, what if we were writings, you know, big, big team changes on the X-Men and on Justice League and, you know, whatnot. But, you know, for what if, what if I was writing... Fantastic Four, you know, obviously I'm going to keep the same four guys. I'm going to add in some new characters. I'm going to play up those personal stories Mm -hmm. and I'm going to put them back into full on exploration mode. Uh, Reed Richards will be wise again (laughs) as opposed to just being smart with no wisdom. Uh, But yeah, those are the kind of stories I want to tell. Great. How about yourself? All right. So I had I thought about this one because I do I love the Fantastic Four, I, I really do. But it's a book I've not collected regularly. I think at any point in my life, other than during Mark Wade's run. Oh wow! I, I've always felt it's too uneven. You know, some writers just don't do a great job with it. I, I like I said, I love the Mark Wade run. I started the Mark Millar run, didn't like it, 
dropped it after a couple of issues. You know, I was thinking about it, and I know it's been done before. But if but I were if writing, writing the Fantastic Four, I was thinking right off the bat, I'd take away their money. And again, <laughs> I know that's been done. You know, right. I know in the like the series you mentioned, the Marvel Knights Four. Yeah. In the first issue, they took away their money, and they took like side jobs, like right. teaching or something like that. But what and I, I, I have to say, like, I did like Marvel Knights Four. I like Marvel Knights Four rather a lot. Oh yeah, as yeah. did I. Yeah. You know, and so that's one of the first things I do. I would take away their money. I take away the Baxter Building, uh, even though that's kind of one of their things. I would take away that aspect of it, um, at least temporarily. So they're down on their luck. They don't have money. So what do they do? You know, could we get a job teaching? Sure. It's all been that's all been done before. What I was thinking is the Fantastic Four as almost an interdimensional time jumping detective team. Mm-hmm. Detective agency to make them, you know, to, to get the money they need to do the things they want to do, you know, to live. They use Reed's skills and this bridge that he created to jump, you know, as almost like a work for hire team, jumping from different from dimension to dimension, you know, not necessarily solving crimes, but, you know, hey, our village has been invaded. Can you come save us from the invaders? Mm-hmm. You know, or in this galaxy, you know, you, you see all these different galaxies. And, you know, you can even get some of that time jumping aspect to it. Because I'd love to see them jump back in time to, you know, London, you know, in the 1800s, that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, You know, and so almost like, like I said, a time jumping, trans-dimensional detective agency or, you know, like hero for hire type thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So you still get some of that. You still sometimes get some of those cosmic level storylines. But at the same time, you also get... You know, some more personal storylines where, you know, it's, you know, maybe they're just solving a murder in another dimension, you know, in an alien dimension, <laughs> you know, like a, a murder mystery in an alien dimension. Call the Fantastic Four. I, I think. Who are you going to call? Who are you going to call? <laughs> you know, I, I would, I, you know, I would like to see, you know, Reed Richards in a top hat and a trench coat. Yeah. You know, I, I think, and you, know, and you could even get some more of that adventurous stuff that you were talking about you know the um you know where it's more of an indiana jones type thing you know he's he's you know going on these adventures and exploring new dimensions and things like that and you know this it's kind of funny because this issue totally sets up that kind of thing oh absolutely they refer to earth 212 and earth 6590 mm-hmm. you know so they can jump to all these different earths and, you know, whoever wants to hire them, you know, they call the Fantastic Four. Right. So, you know, I, I, that's how I would write it. I would write it as a fun, trans-dimensional tra- Fantastic Four. Without all the money, you know, they're just getting by on their skills, on Ben's strength, Reed's smarts, Invisible Woman's invisibleness, right. <laughs> you know, and Johnny Storm's torchness. Um, his torchiness but you know I mean I I would like to see that aspect I I like you know they can be different costumes in every issue have a couple of issues do you know one thing Uh, you know it's I think it could be a fun part of the title I think you need to have Reed have more of a heart yeah. Uh, I think he, I think that's one thing that most writers miss oh he's the most smart he's the most brilliant man in the world well, he still has a heart. He has been married. He's obviously had sex at least twice. Well, and he, lo- I mean, I think key to his character is that not only does he love his wife, he loves his kids. 
<laughs> you know, yeah. and he's actually a pretty good father. Yeah. You know? <laughs> you know, we've seen we've seen other writers, you know, show that about his character. And those are actually the, those those kind of small moments I was talking about that, you know, I would like to see more of. Yeah. You know, and not just, hey, no one's going to screw with my kid, but he actually enjoys spending time with his children. You know, um, I, I, I agree. I, I, I like the idea of of the Fantastic Four time hopping and whatnot. I think it'd be fun. You know, it, it would it would get them out of the Marvel Universe proper for a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they could. And, you, you know, you could even see alternate versions of the Marvel Universe. It, yeah. I guess almost like an Exiles type thing. Sure. Well, and, you know, one of my favorite uh, What If storylines, you know, from the What If magazine, mm-hmm. was in its original run of What If, they did a story as What If the Fantastic Four had different powers. And so you had, you know, instead of Mr. Fantastic or Reed Richards being all, you know, stretchy and bendy, he was just mm-hmm. a brain. <laughs> and they called him Big Brain, and, you know, he was just this disembodied brain and uh, with telepathic abilities and whatnot, and all the the, the different heroes you know, had different powers. And in fact, I, I want to say that Ben Grimm, instead of being, you know, the thing, he was actually Mr. Fantastic. He was the guy with the stretchy abilities. Um, or maybe he had the big bat wings. I forget what it was. One of them had wings, <laughs> but it was, a, it was a really good story. And those are actually kind of, kind of those alternate universe, fantastic yeah. four stories that would be fun to, to read. Well, yeah. And I don't, you, I think it would be great if they popped into some of those universes, you know, some of the more popular, what yeah. if titles, you yeah. know, pop into a universe where that happened. Yeah. Or know. the, the, what if universe where Spider-Man joined the fantastic four. Yeah. The, you yeah. know, the, what if universe where, you know, the civil war or whatever you know, yeah. never happened or, you know, all these different universes and also, you know, that are literally just different versions of the Marvel universe as well as other more alien universes. But, right. you know, I guess, you know, they could jump into the Age of Apocalypse universe. You know, that kind of stuff. I think that would be a lot of fun. Yeah. And, you know, Fantastic Four is the super team that is kind of built for that kind of thing. Now, I will say that something that I think has been an oversight on Marvel's part has been that they have not included Fantastic Four in the current space storylines. You know, uh, Fantastic Four has kind of that direct link into those space stories through their dealings with Galactus and Silver Surfer and those other, you know, cosmic space characters. Um, I'd like to see them take a turn out there, you know, with the Inhumans and whatnot, uh, you know, in the post-War of Kings storyline. Yeah. Well, I think they've been kind of wrapped up in Secret Invasion and Civil War. I'm I'm very thankful that that. picking up this issue... (laughs) A Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm really thankful it wasn't Dark Rain Fantastic Four. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. In fact, there yeah. was no reference to Dark Rain at all, so I was very thankful for that. Yeah, there was a couple of you know in these dark times. I think there was a there was a mention of that, but that was the only mention of uh, of current continuity. But yeah, I mean, I, I one of the downsides. I'm a big fan of continuity, but one of the downsides of the you know ongoing. Uh, effects of civil civil war secret invasion and dark rain is that it has kept a number of our characters kind of linked to earth you know for lack of a better term you know yeah. so they haven't been able to get off and explore and go elsewhere and i'm ready for the fantastic four to get back out into space for a little bit and like i said i'd like to see them get involved with guardians of the galaxy the nova Corps, the inhumans uh, and and do some of that stuff instead of just being another super team on earth Absolutely. Yeah. 
So, but, you know, I, I think what we're both saying is that we both like an awful lot about Fantastic Four. We're just not real wild about where it's been. Yeah, we love the concept of the Fantastic Four. I just haven't really liked what they've been doing on the title for quite yeah. some time. And Dwayne McDuffie did some good stuff. Mark Wade did some fantastic stuff. I think that's probably the most recent we're talking as far yeah. as good Fantastic Four stories. Well, and, you know, we both kind of talked about Reed Richards and a little bit about uh, Sue Storm. What kind of changes would you make with the thing? You know, I don't know if I would change the thing. You know, I, I think, you know, by having him in these alternate dimensions, maybe they go to an all-thing universe, <laughs> you know, where he Everyone's feels like he fits in, you know, a planet of things or something like that. You know, I, I would, I, I like the thing as he is. Now, one aspect I think I would almost care for is if he could control it. Yeah. Like Johnny Storm can control the flame on, you know, like you said, I'm, I'm a little tired of seeing... You know, even the Hulk can control it. And maybe that's the difference. You know, the thing can't control it, but blah, blah, blah. But, you know, after 40 years or 46 years, I think we're talking about, 1963. Yeah. After 46 years, I think the thing needs to be able to control his powers. Yeah. Uh, You know, and I think they've probably done it before and it just didn't stick. But, you know, it's... Yeah, it's always been a short time, you know... uh change when that when that's occurred yeah and you know because of that we've never seen the thing try to live a normal life we're not going to get that you know that you know the thing being married permanently storyline he has to fall in you know it has to be someone blind to look past his (laughs) thingness you know um i i would like to see the thing be able to control his powers yeah you know you know and he still chooses to be the thing because he you know he likes the adventures but you know he can live a normal life as ben Grimm. right I, I I would I would like that. I'd like to see him be able to control his powers. Um, Johnny Storm. I mean, you can't really change much about Johnny Storm. He's always going to kind of be the wisecracking guy. Right. Um, I I like Johnny Storm as a character, and I think that's one thing we're both coming down to. We like all the characters. We like who they are. The main crux of it is that we haven't liked the way Reed Richards has Reed. Excuse me, Reed Richards has been written. That's a Reed Richards has been written um, in writing quite Reed some Richards. time. Writing Reed Richards um, in in some time because they just haven't they've lost the heart of the character. Yeah, you know he's always been a genius, but now he's the smartest man in the world. Blah blah blah. Yeah, it, it's just you know I I get it. I get it. I get that he's smart, but he's married with two kids. You know, and we're talking about a guy who hides an interdimensional portal in his house yeah. from his wife. Yeah, after telling her after telling her that he gotten rid of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I understand sometimes, you know, for story's sake, you know, there have to be a couple of lies between the couple. <laughs> I get it. But it's an interdimensional portal. Yeah. His wife, you know, Sue Storm or Sue Richards is not that stupid. Yeah. You know, I mean, I guess Reed Richards is that smart, but I'd like to see Sue Storm, Sue Richards, excuse me, one up him. Once, you know, show yeah. that she knows something that no matter how smart he is, he she's actually one step ahead of him because he doesn't, you know, because he doesn't have a heart now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think that that the the change that I'd like to see in the thing is not so much a fundamental change to his character, but a change in how he's depicted. It seems to me that over the years we have downplayed how strong he is. Mm-hmm. And he's certainly not in the Hulk league of strength, but he's still an awfully strong guy. I mean, there were there were whole books given to the fact that, you know, he could go toe to toe with the Hulk. 
you know, and that the edge that the Hulk had was that the matter he got, the stronger he got, whereas the thing tops out at a certain level of strength. So, you know, I would like to, you know, let's bring it back. The thing's a pretty damn strong guy, <laughs> you know, um, he's pretty tough. He's not agile. He's not maneuverable, but you know, the guy's, the guy's a brick house, you yeah. know, so I would bring it back to that. I would also bring it back to his, you know, the guy was a test pilot, you know, so he's kind of got that, uh, you know, that, that, uh, booyah mentality. Um, and so I, I would kind of bring back his adventurer streak to him other than, you know, he has been kind of depicted as the softy nanny kind of guy. Um, and while I think that's that great, it's great to show his warmer side, I would also like to show that, you know, he's kind of a badass. Yeah, he can you know? be like the Hal Jordan, you know? Exactly. And, yeah. and, you know, he. I, I could see Ben Grimm as the Hal Jordan of the group, you know, and Johnny's... I know I'm comparing up to DC characters, but, you know, that, you know, Hal Jordan is thick-headed sometimes. Yeah. You know, and I think sometimes we lose some of that story maybe because of the limitations of him being the thing. Right. You know, if, you know, if he could transform back into Ben Grimm, I think we would get some more of that. Maybe he does do test piloting, you know? Right. It, it would be nice to see them do some of that other stuff. Absolutely. And, you know, Johnny Storm, you know, he he has been the, uh, the hot-headed, irresponsible guy for a long time. You know, I'd kind of like to see him move a little bit. I don't want him, you know, to be the, another Reed Richards, you know, another mm-hmm. married guy with kids. But I would kind of like to see him kind of get his act together some. And you know, it's funny. I'd almost rather see him, oddly enough, I want to see him go insane a little bit. You Johnny know, Storm? Almost, Johnny Storm. You yeah. know, maybe, you know, almost, I don't know. I, I'd like to see him, he needs to do something. And well, I don't and, know if, and I think that Johnny Storm is a character who's, I, I would screw with his powers some. Yeah. You know, one of the things that, that I thought was a, a nice story in the Fantastic Four many, many years ago was they actually did a story about how the thing was evolving, you know, because you remember when you first saw him, he was kind of, you know, a lumpy, almost clay yes. uh, sort of structure. And over the years, he has become more and more you know brick-like and rocky and whatnot. And I'd love to see, you know, some kind of evolution of Johnny's powers, uh, you know, where maybe suddenly Johnny is the one who can't change. Yeah, you know, and, you maybe know, that... he's maybe he's always flame. <laughs> <laughs> you because know, there's there's a whole other set of problems right there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, and that could be interesting. Well, anything right. else about Fantastic Four, Paul? No, I think we are set on the Fantastic Four. You know, um, if you have any thoughts on this subject matter, leave a comment in the show notes. We'd love to hear what you guys would do if you were writing the Fantastic Four. That's right. Or if you want your uh, comments included on the show, uh, and you want to you know record some audio, just uh, drop that to an MP3 and send that over to our email address, which is ideologyofmadness at gmail.com. I know. You'll be famous. You'll be on our show. Just like Sardell. Just like Sardell. Just like Sardell. Just like Sardell. Well, Paul, I believe last week you mentioned that uh, you had a new contest you wanted to share with us. Ah, yes, I did. I did. Um, And, you know, well, I'll start off by saying, back in May, uh, for Free Comic Book Day, you could go into a free comic, you can go into a comic book store and get a free comic book. Mm -hmm. You know, great Great concept. Absolutely loved it. But what we thought about it is that we could one-up that. So we had a contest of 100 free comics that don't suck. Uh, And basically, the goal was that, you know, 
for a hundred comics, you know, you could win a hundred comics that don't suck, and they didn't suck. You know, we gave away Gears of War number one, Atomic Robo number one. There were some signed books in there. There was a ton of great crap. Okay, um, and to win it, all you had to do was mention us on your podcast, talk about us on a message board, get the sh- get the word out on Ideology of Madness somehow. Okay. Well, it's been a couple of months, and it, you know it's been said that one man's trash is another man's treasure. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> you know, and so I was looking through my lawn long boxes the other day, or you know some of the stuff that we've bought, you know, even and talked about on Funny Books with Aaron and Polly, and I was thinking, wow, I read a lot of crap. <laughs> I have a lot of crap. I bought this first issue, and I have no plans on buying the rest of the series. Or, I bought the first issue of this series and the last issue of this series. I can't find the middle issues, so I'm going to buy the trade paperback. Or, oh, I love this so much in floppy, I'm going to buy the trade paperback. Ton, yeah. You know, there are tons of instances where I've double dip on, double dipped on comic books, not finished off a series just kind of lost interest in a writer, blah, blah, blah. Right. So I was thinking, well, I'm sure I have at least 100 comics that do suck that I could give away. (laughs) So if you're listening to the show, if you're this far into it, this is our 100 free comics that do suck giveaway. Okay. And to enter the contest, it's the same principle as the first contest. Go ahead and mention us on your podcast. If you don't have a podcast, no worries. Put, you know, talk about our show on a message board, you know, other than our own, of course. Um, You know, mention it on the comic book resources message board. Um, Talk about it on Facebook or... Include links. Include links, yes. Include links to the show. You know, talk about it on Newsarama. However the word gets out... Get the word out on Funny Books with Aaron and Polly and IdeologyofMadness.com. And again, include links into, you know, as to how other people can listen to our show. And in addition to that, send us the proof. Either send us a link to where you've done it, or, you know, send us a picture of it, you know, preferably a link so we could see the message board, you know, or a link to your podcast, however you do it. And what you'll get is you will get 100 free comics that probably suck <laughs> you'll be but, entered in for a chance to win a hundred free comics that don't or that do suck thank you very much Aaron. <laughs> yeah the winner will be chosen at random okay right. um however you know you'll be entered into a contest to win like i said a hundred comics that may suck but they may not you know it may just be comics that we don't need anymore that's or right that, you know uh you know, I'm speaking specifically, uh, I'm looking right now at my Killer of Demons trade paperback from Image Comics. I picked up issue one and three of Killer of Demons from Image Comics uh, by Christopher Yost and Scott Wegner, who's the artist for Atomic Robo. Love the series. Yeah. I have no need for issue one and three in floppy format. I have the trade paperback. And as is tradition here at ideologyofmadness.com, if we get enough participation and we like what we see, we will throw more prizes out there. So there'll still be the grand prize and then some runner-up prizes as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because we like winners. <laughs> we like winners. <laughs> um, but, yeah, 100 free comic books. 
great that deal. That may or may not suck. That may or may not <laughs> suck. Um, you know, and on future shows, maybe next week I'll, I'll give a hint. Not a hint. I'll, I'll talk about some of the comics that are going to end up in that prize package. Uh, you know, other than the Killer of Demons that I've already mentioned. Right. We'll, we'll, we'll give a couple more out so you can see what else you're winning. Um, the contest will end... Mm, we're going to give a couple of weeks. Yeah, we'll give you a couple of weeks. Yeah. So it, right, you know, we're recording this on the 29th of August. For release on August 31st. For release on August 31st. Uh, I'm thinking October 1st. Yeah. A yeah, month. we'll give it the month of September. Yeah. So from na- from the time you're listening to this show until midnight, September 30th, mention us on your podcast or a podcast. Talk about us on a message board, Facebook, any way you can get the word out on Funny Books with Aaron and Polly. Hell, print out flyers and bring them to your comic shop. Whatever it takes, you will be entered into a drawing to win 100 free comic books. And, again, if the demand is high enough, if we get enough entries, you will definitely see some runner-up prizes that do not suck. That's right. And we will announce the winner on our show dropping on October 5th. Absolutely. Or winners, I should say. Indeed. So... Excellent. That was a great contest, Paul. Yeah, so 100 comics, guys. Definitely good stuff. Well, maybe. And um, <laughs> <laughs> So do we have anything else? Is there anything that we can top our 100 free comics or 100 free crappy comics with? I don't know how we could possibly do that, Paul. You I know think, how we could? How could we do that? By not talking anymore. I agree. <laughs> Thanks a bunch, Paul. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks, everybody. Have a good one. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. Vagina hater.